The temperature is a cool 71 degrees, and you're listening to the Lanky Guys, coming live from Boulder, Colorado. And we've asked you to now affix your seatbelts and take out your placards to know where the na- next safest exit is. Who takes out placards on a flight? <laughs> Who takes out placards? What's a placard, anyway? I don't know. You just said it on the podcast. 9,000 people are wondering what a placard is. Oh, you know what a placard is? Or are yelling into their radio at what it is. Dude, a placard is that thing that you put over your head when the end of the world is nigh. It's not a placard. That is a placard. What do you put over your head when the end of the world is not? You know, like if you wear like like pieces of wood over your head with straps, and what then it just says, it says the end of the world is Who nigh. Are you on your head? Over you mean the sandwich head. boards? Yes, that's a placard. That's a sandwich board. That's a placard. What are we? Welcome to the Word on the Hill, everybody. This is the Lanky <laughs> Guys. My name is Scott Powell, and my name is Father Peter Muzzit, <laughs> and. and <laughs> we don't know. What, we don't know what a placard is. And no, clearly you, speaking. Yeah, and. and uh, uh, d- today we were just uh, <laughs> singing this song. I sang one line of the song, and I'm going to sing it to all of you guys now. Oh, good! And it's going to be stuck in your head for a very long time. I, I can't get it out. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Okay, there you go. So now, you're welcome, everybody. You're That's going to be there for the next week. <laughs> oh my god! I love my work. <laughs> yes. Like, yes, you do. They're like, "What do you do as a priest?" I'm like, "Well, I get songs stuck in people's heads." Yeah, that's yeah. my job. That's your job. Um, your other job is podcasting and speaking about the readings. Yeah, and and so we are approaching the 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time. We are approaching it, and, or uh, well, depending on when you're listening. Maybe you've already surpassed it. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is actually next year. Let's talk to the people in the future. Maybe you had a ridiculous homily and you're like, I don't understand what Father was saying. I better listen to the only two sensible people on the internet. <laughs> Scott Powell and Father Scott Powell, as, he was, as, he was, as he, I said, Scott, you have to pray for the podcast today. <laughs> and so he prayed and he said, Lord, let us not say anything <laughs> stupid that's outside of your will. Right, there's an important semicolon. <laughs> yeah, because because uh, really, um, if you listen to this podcast, or if maybe they're just being introduced, and this is just the new experience. That we were at having. two minutes and twenty eight seconds of saying things that are stupid. Oh, so then, far, then then we better jump into. Yeah. I'm just saying, as far as the amount of things of stupidness that we've said, <laughs> I hopefully they're not outside of the Lord's will, though, because we prayed for that. Yeah, I listened to another podcast, and I listened to them say a lot. You of listened stupid- to another podcast? I did. What podcast? Um, Something nerdy. Hold on, this one was um, uh, Mac Power Users. (laughs) (laughs) Matt Bodker turned me onto it, and and like literally, it was ten minutes of them just talking about nothing, and I was like, I was like, oh, this is what it feels like. This is what it feels like. Did you enjoy it, or were you frustrated? I I was frustrated because I wanted to learn some techniques, man, some power user techniques, and so let's get. So we should get into it. Let's get some power user scripture going. (laughs) What on earth? Hey, old man, (laughs) put down your cigarettes, old man. Dude, that was weird. I don't know where that cough came from. (laughs) That was a beast. All right, it is the sixteenth Sunday of Ordinary Time. We are right, I'm looking at the liturgical calendar. I mean, we are right in the middle of a vast sea of green. <laughs> <laughs> we totally are. As far as the eye can see. And our first reading is coming from the uh, prophet Jeremiah, chapter 23, verses 1 to 6. Oh my goodness! It's Jeremiah 23, 1 through 6, and then Psalm 23. 1 through 6. It is, it is the week of the 23rd, and then Ephesians 2, verse 3. 
No, it was 13, but it's close. Dude, I wish it would they have were been. They all 23s. Oh, no, hold on. Look, it's 2316. This is 21318. Okay, yeah, that's, that's it. where let's, it's Let's yeah. drop this one. All right, Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3, 3 to 4, 5, and 6. And our response is coming from verse 1, one of the most famous psalms in the Psalter. Yeah, which I was introduced to uh, by Bloom County when I was a kid. In which one? I was a I was a Bloom County aficionado, dude. It was. Do you a, know what came back? They just launched the Bloom County 2015. No. Oh yeah. Um, no, it was. Uh, it All Bill, three of you were excited about. <laughs> Bill the Cat and Opus were watching TV, and uh, Tammy Faye Baker came on, <laughs> and she had a thing. The Lord is my shepherd, <laughs> and like, and they were watching oh, TV, and it was Tammy that's Faye. Wonder, yeah. That's wonderful. And so then, uh, our second reading is from the <laughs> Ephesians, letter to the Ephesians, mm. uh, chapter 2, 13 to 18. Yes, indeed. And our gospel is coming from Mark, chapter 6, verse 30 through 34, which I think is, again, a direct pickup from last week, or a at least up. close to it. So every single one of ours, no, I was going to say, they all have a three in them. Who does? No, they don't. Gospel no, Stop. I think we should just stop this. I'm just looking. It's not working. It's oh, it's not a direct pickup, but it's a jump. It's okay. So- Jer- Anyhow, Jeremiah, he's one of the prophets, um, <laughs> which is really nice. He's he, one of the major prophets, in fact. Yeah, which means that he would fit in very well in American business culture. Major prophets. Yeah, I, I got it. I'm just staring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tom Smith has a talk about the prophets that says increasing your to- increasing your profit margins uh, or something like that. Dude, right, I, Tom? I think you're listening. Yeah. If dude, you are, I'm sorry. Dude, I think it's funny. Let's give just. I wonder if Tom listens to this or if it would be. He has. He has given us a little uh, a little shout out. He's oh, given us shout out. That's right. He has. Tom Smith. Me. Just in case you're listening, one of the best Bible teachers in the world, in my opinion. I learned a lot. He's one of my most important teachers that I've ever had. Yeah, me, me too. Well, there you go. Me, 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 me too. <laughs> me, 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 too. <laughs> All right. Yes. So Jeremiah is one of the major prophets. Um, Jeremiah, here's the thing about Jeremiah. He had a really hard job. First of all, his book is cool because it spans the length from pretty pretty well before Jerusalem is destroyed, warning the people of Jerusalem that they're about to fall, their evil ways, you know, they need to turn back, they need to repent. He actually witnesses the fall of Jerusalem and then after the fall of Jerusalem. So he spans this huge... <laughs> Father Peter's eating a Milano cookie, and he's taking great care to cover the mic so he doesn't <laughs> crunch on it. Because I know it's, you guys can hear me doing it. The way, the care that you took with your covering your mouth and your hands and your microphone. Well, did, didn't, Jeremiah, anyway. didn't Jeremiah, like, I mean, like, he, to the point on where, like, his whole major prophecy was really done in an existential capacity. Like, basically, the Lord would give him instructions, and he's like, I want you now to go marry this woman. No, that's not him. Well, th- he, to some degree. And then I'm going to have you— That wasn't him. That's Hosea has to marry the prostitute, Oh, right? yeah, yeah. And Isn't then, that Hosea? Doesn't, doesn't he have to, like, like, put a hole through a wall and then climb through it and take his luggage in the middle of the night? Uh, that's Ezekiel, I think. Or is it Jeremiah? <laughs> Gosh, now I blank. I mean— there's a there's a number of those kind of stories, but they're kind of spread out through the press. So one prophet marries a marries a prostitute to sort of exemplify um, Israel's relationship with God that he wants them to love him, but they're just always unfaithful. Yeah, another person has to run around naked for a while. Another person has to pack a bunch of bags and go through the hole. Right. Another another person has to take off his underwear, bury it in a rock, and then go and put it back on after a bunch of months or That's something. That's true. That's true. Is it is, is it Jeremiah that has to buy the piece of property? He buys a piece of land in the middle of... Do you remember that? Uh-uh. Or is it Ezekiel? I'm blanking on whether it's Jeremiah or Ezekiel. But one of them actually buys a piece of property in Jerusalem as Jerusalem's burning. 
which is like the worst time to buy real estate <laughs> as the city is burning. And he's like, are you kidding me? But the idea is it's this prophetic sign. So that's the thing of the prophets. They're giving these outward signs of these, of these realities. So he buys this piece of property in a way of, and God says, put it in a jar and keep it to show that even though Jerusalem is burning now, I'll restore it. It will come back. And here's your deed to show, to prove that, that I'm going to be faithful. Here's a, a physical, tangible sign of my faithfulness. You have this deed to your yeah. land. So uh, the prophets are very beautiful. Um, Jeremiah's got a particularly hard job because he's called to really go out and, and call some serious people out. It's Jeremiah that Jesus actually quotes when he says, you have made the temple into a den of robbers and yeah. thieves. Remember that? Yeah, I do. That's a direct quote from Jeremiah. I think it's Jeremiah chapter 7. Are you trying to say something to me? What? I'm just kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, just quoting. Are you making the church into a den of... Okay, I, you know what? You know oh, to you. Yeah. I, am I saying something okay. to you? I got it. The, the well, truth, this this the, is a tough one. This is the thing is I'm already sensitized because of this reading from Jeremiah. That, I forgot. I remember there was something important we need to talk about. So, yeah. So, okay. So, Jeremiah is called, first of all, to go pronounce basically this curse on the temple in a certain sense. And he's basically saying, if you don't clean up your act, God's going to destroy this temple. Yikes. They, we know the end of the story. He does destroy the temple, which tells us that, okay, they didn't clean up their act. And they want to kill Jeremiah. Again, Jesus takes on those words, and he does it in a dramatic way. Um, the other thing, and Jesus kind of takes this on as well, in our passage that we get here from Jeremiah 23, he's calling out the shepherds. He's calling out the religious leadership, again, which Jesus does explicitly. But here he says, and this is God's words coming through Jeremiah, woe to the shepherds who mislead and scatter the flock of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, against the shepherds who shepherd my people, you have scattered um, you have scattered my sheep and driven them away. You've not cared for them, but I will take care to punish your evil deeds. I'll gather to get, uh, I will myself gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands that they've been driven them and bring them back into their meadow where they will increase and multiply. And I will appoint shepherds for them who will shepherd them so that they'll no longer need to fear and tremble and none shall be missing, says the Lord. So this passage, and then it goes on a little bit, but he's calling specifically out, look, it's the shepherds. It's their. It's majorly their fault that this has happened. The people have been misled. Their leaders, their shepherds. You know, it was the Pharisees in large part later on in the time of Jesus, who gave themselves the title of shepherd. Um, you you expect maybe it's the priests and things who did have that title as well. But more than anybody, by the time of Jesus, it's the Pharisees who have taken on that title themselves. We're the ones who are going to shepherd and care for the people. And here, all the way back in the time of Jeremiah, Jesus or the the Lord is saying. Look, specifically, it's the leaders. You have misled the people. This is where sort of Jesus, it, it's echoing what Jesus says later on. What does he say in the Gospels where he says, you know, woe to you who mislead these little ones. It'll be better if a millstone was tied around your neck and cast into the sea yeah. than if you mislead one of these little ones, yeah. which is, I mean, this is a profound responsibility. It's a profound, um, yeah, responsibility. It's a weight that... Well, and I know you were saying before the podcast that this is a way that you kind of feel because you are a shepherd. You're one of his priests now. But I think there's a fundamental difference, um, and that's what I want to get to by the time we get to the Gospels. You have a far different responsibility than the shepherds of the Old Testament had. Yes, it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, every single time the um, the woe to the shepherds that you come up um, yearly from Jeremiah— like, which is right. I mean, like, the there it's a great examination of conscience for the for the priests. But like, I'm I'm really could use hearing what you say so that I you could let me off the hook a little bit. Yeah. So well, where this sort of well, I will not yet though. Okay. Ha <laughs> ha. 
Um, yeah, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. I'll raise up a righteous shoot to David, a new king who will govern wisely. Here's the thing. This reading basically leaves off saying God's going to punish the shepherds and woe to them, and he's really going to go after them. Yeah. But there will come a time when God will appoint a new shepherd or new shepherds. But Jeremiah, at least at this point, later on it becomes a little more clear. At this point, he's a little bit vague about who those new shepherds are going to be. And if you're the religious leaders at the time, you've got to be wondering, okay, well, wait a second. The, 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 you know, the teachers, the priests, the religious leadership, we are the shepherds. Right. So if he says that's going to sort of be stripped away from us and given to somebody else, what does that mean? Yeah. And this all sort of relates to last week's reading. So if you remember, kind of the theme we talked about last week was the idea of the Lord taking authority from those who have authority and giving it to those who previously had no authority. Giving real authority to the lowly and to the least expected. Remember Amos. Everyone's like, who do you think you are being a prophet? I know, famous and then, Amos. Famous Amos, baby. And then in the Gospels, you know, Jesus is giving this authority. He's taking it from the religious leaders and he's giving it to these fishermen and tax collectors and these 12 apostles that he's appointed. Yeah. So this idea of redistribution of authority um, is a big theme last week. It's, it's being alluded to this week as well. So we're left in the first reading with this idea that the authority of the shepherds are going to be taken away from the current shepherds and given to somebody else. Yes. But he doesn't say who that is. No. And then you get the psalm, which begins to answer the question. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord himself. And this is actually, there's a number of places both in, well, there's at least one in Jeremiah. It's, I think it's Jeremiah 31. Uh, then again in Ezekiel, and where else? I jotted this down. I jotted it. Uh, Jotting. But, but I wrote this down where it actually says it. Where is it? Oh, yeah. Um, no, that's not it. Um, but a number, I'll just keep talking because I can't find it. But there's a number of places, especially in Jeremiah, where God actually says, um, I, I myself will be the shepherds. Basically, it's God coming in saying, look, the shepherds haven't done their job. So uh, let, let's put it this way. Oh, this isn't quite a fair... Uh, we work with a company uh, that that's related to Camp Boitillo. We partner with a, with a secular outdoor company for for some of our work, and there's been a number of times when, you know, some mistakes were made, or or you know, it was it was basically some some drivers got lost to where they were going um, to come to Camp Boitillo and and kind of you know buses got lost. And there's been a couple of times where the owner of the company that we use has just said, you know what, I'm going to do it myself, and he's gotten in the bus himself and he's drove out to Cam- Camboy T1 and picked up our our students, which says something really profound about that particular person. But that's sort of what the Lord is saying. He's saying, you know what, this religious leadership, they're not doing it. They're not making it work. I'm going to step in and I'm going to do it myself. I will be the shepherd. But that's actually really cool. What's yeah. confusing about it, though, is that if if you read Jeremiah carefully, God actually says both things. He says both, I'm going to be the shepherd, and then he says, and I will appoint new shepherds. I will give you new shepherds, yeah. So which one is it? Is he the shepherd, or is he going to appoint new shepherds? Well, and this is where we're going to get the answer in a little bit. Oh. But what were you going to say? Well, I wanted to answer it too quickly. I that's you can this, if is, you want. this is actually one of the things that I really think that's exciting about t- your teaching cuz I just I, I I'm a homilist so I, I don't really bam people to You're homilost? <laughs> Dude, that's I'm a sorry. horrible noise that we do cons- <laughs> consistently with each other. Consistently. But yeah, I mean I have am profoundly configured to Christ, which is really interesting. So I I wonder if, you know, as as you, as you're saying that I can already make the leap and say the priest is not his own, and he only—he's only a shepherd in as much as he is united to Christ. That's it, and that's—and that's what we're going to get to in the God. I'm not—I don't think we're giving away the punchline, but I mean, there's a fundamental difference between the priesthood of the Old Testament and the priesthood of the New Testament, right. because in a certain sense, 
the priesthood in the Old Testament stood on its own. I right. mean, they were responsible for their own merits. You know, they they were they were their own, and that's where you know even in the in the book of Hebrews, when the author's laying out these big differences between the old priesthood and the new priesthood of Jesus, the old liturgy and the new liturgy, the old temple, the new temple. One of the things he says is that, you know, this new priesthood is not like the old priesthood. This is, these are priests like Melchizedek, right. which is something you say at your vows when you, when you become priests. Um, the old priest, they had to produce genealogies. Literally, to be a Levitical priest who served in the temple, you had to produce these genealogical records, this paperwork that showed at least 10 generations, I think, back on your father's side and at least eight or nine on your mother's side. Wow. It showed you were a pure-blooded Levite um, and that you were fit and qualified to serve in the temple. But it was all about you. It was all about your family line. It was all about your heritage, who you are, your bloodline. It's all falling on you. In the new priesthood, it's not about you. And that's where, even when we see terrible things done by priests, you know, a few years ago, and, and priests who mislead people and all sorts of terrible things, as awful and as horrendous as those things are, we don't have to lose faith in the priesthood because it's not about you. If the priesthood right. all fell on right. Father Peter Musset and Father Brady Wagner and even Archbishop Aquila, if that's all it is, then we're all hosed because we're all human beings and we actually don't have the strength to do what we need to do. Right. But that's where... I mean, you know, the words of the psalm are almost for you, in a certain sense, as a shepherd, to remind yourself, no, the Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I shall want. I might want to be the best shepherd I can, and you should be the best shepherd you can be. But it's not ultimately you, as Father Peter, who is going to feed your flock. You are going to be fed by God himself, and that priesthood, anything you're feeding the congregation is coming from him. Yeah. It's not, you're not solely responsible for your role as shepherd. You have a shepherd who is greater than you, and it's only your connection, your association, your your being a part of Jesus's priesthood right. that makes your priesthood worth anything. Right. Which is got to be comforting. Very. I mean, like ex, ex opere operandi, it is accomplished yeah. in and of itself. The, yeah. uh, the, the, the sacramental life does not rely upon the priesthood to be something. Yeah, which is just really like there's something's just so right and good, and I thank God so profoundly for that. And that's why, I, again, I'm, I'm just reading through Psalm 23 right now, and it's I mean, you can read it as though it's written to the priests who are stressed out about what if I'm like the priest in the time of Jeremiah? What if I'm called out? You know, what if I can't do it? What if I don't have enough? And this reminder: No, the Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing you should want. There's nothing you need to be worried about that I can't provide because right. God's going to provide it. The Lord's my shepherd. In verdant pastures, He's going to give me repose. Beside restful waters, He leads me. Right. He refreshes my soul. And if that's true, then you can step up to the altar and to the pulpit in confidence and say, "All right, I'm going to be Father Peter Musset because the Lord is actually my shepherd. It's right. not about me. Everybody can look at me on the altar and think I'm an idiot." And that actually doesn't do anything to my priesthood because it's Jesus's priesthood. Right. And that's really comforting. So comforting. And so that, you know, you know this is why we begin every mass, you know, with asking for mercy because we don't want um, to become a den of robbers and thieves like Jeremiah points out. So we begin every mass saying, Lord, have mercy on us for any of the ways that we have become selfish shepherds or become a den of robbers and thieves in the congregation, right? So we ask for forgiveness, and we can be confident that if we keep turning, I mean, that, that's even the thing about Jeremiah that's so beautiful. Constantly, he's giving these if-then warnings. 
if you don't repent, if you don't turn back, if you don't clean up your act, then you're going to have this temple stripped away. But it gives this sense that, no, God wants your repentance. He doesn't want to destroy the temple. He doesn't want to take away your priesthood. He doesn't want to do these things. He wants your repentance. He wants your hearts back. And if you absolutely are obstinate and refuse to give them to him, then what is he going to do? He's not going to allow his people to be misled forever. So he's going to take it away. But it's this constant call that, look, we need to examine our consciences every single day, every single mass, and think to ourselves, are we becoming a den of robbers? Are we becoming a den of thieves? And if so... Are we making this about the wrong thing? Absolutely. Which is usually probably going to be yes. Then we get an opportunity every single time to say, okay, I'm going to turn back. Yep. I'm going I'm to go back. I'm going to repent right out of this and I'm going to come. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. So there's nothing else I shall want. And that can be this constant refrain, reminder. Which is perfect to get us into Ephesians. Actually. It's really perfect. Yeah, because we, we, what really well, drives us afar from God? It's because it says, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. I think there's two answers to that question, but you say what you're going to say. Ooh, I like it when you, when you lay it out like that. I but. think there is. And I think this is what the New Testament, the insight the New Testament gives that the Old Testament never understood. So what were you going to say? Oh, man, I, now I'm, I, I was just going to say that. You said, what does it mean to be far off? Yeah, yeah, as that, um, I mean, is to have the wrong intentionalities, the wrong telos. I mean, like, uh, the, there's a, you know, there, there's a, a line going around. Everybody seems to be using it, you know, uh, aim small, miss small. I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's. it's but that makes sense. It's, it means that if, if. Oh, wait. Say it again. Aim small, miss small. So. What happens is that you don't you don't um, try sounds to like terrible advice. No, no, no. This is the thing. I know it sounds horrible, but like, but what it means, what the what the phraseology means is that if I'm going to shoot and I want to shoot a target, yeah. I don't shoot at the overall target. I look. I aim for the bullseye, and then I might miss the bullseye. the The finer I aim, the better, the less off I'm going to be. Okay. So, okay. so you who were once were far off. Okay. It, it, I think that there's an implication saying that that um, that the wrong intentionalities, the wrong expression, the wrong ends are actually being um, put in place, and that's where it's like, no, Christ came because the shepherds they they get lost. I mean, like yeah. the shepherds are human, and then they start to think that it's about one thing when in fact God needs to bring a corrective to say, no, th- let me really show you what this is about. Yeah, interesting. So what are the two things you were thinking of? Well, I mean, th- there's obviously the spiritual level of, of just us being lost. Why, why are we lost? Well, because the shepherds didn't lead us, you know, all that stuff. Yes. But there's also a very practical level that when the, when, that, that's embedded in Jeremiah's. Um, he says, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands to which they have been driven out. If you're living in Jeremiah's time and you're being told about God's flock that's been driven out, who are you automatically thinking of? Who of God's flock has very recently, historically, been driven out to foreign lands when this is being written? Israel. Yeah, the northern ten tribes, right? All the different people, all of Israel has been scattered and driven out. Yes. So when God is telling his people that he's going to come back and shepherd them and bring them all back together, he's not simply talking about the Jewish people. He's talking about all of Israel, who has been, you know, we get the term Jew from Judah, and that term is derivative of the remnant of Israel, the two tribes, Judah and then little Benjamin, which was absorbed into them, who were left in Jerusalem after the civil war and after the nation split. And then after the 10 tribes were scattered in the north, all that's left is the tribe of Judah mainly. 
And so that's where we get the term the Jewish people, and that's really all that's left by the time Jesus rolls around, and that, that's who's living there. But every but but Israel itself is bigger than just the Jewish people. Right. It's much more vast. That's a twelfth of it, literally. Mm-hmm. And it became the shorthand for, for anyone for Israel who sort of left the remnant. But the idea that we have to remember, especially for the Old Testament people, is that there's a lot more of us that are scattered out there. And throughout the Old Testament, there's these constant... Um, prophecies saying God's going to go out and regather, and as a shepherd, he's going to go out and regather the 12 tribes. And constantly, especially Ezekiel says, God's going to restore the 12 tribes of Israel. He's going to regather them. He's going to go find them and bring them back like a good shepherd is supposed to do. But what's the problem? If you're, if you're someone who takes the Old Testament literally, and you're hearing God saying, I'm going to restore and reunite all 12 tribes of Israel, what's the problem with that prophecy? They're scattered. I mean, they're intermixed. They're intermixed. So, I mean, when Assyria took over the northern kingdom, part of their battle strategy was to force the Israelites to intermarry with all the other nations that they had they had conquered so that they affect what they were doing is passive genocide basically if you can force nations to intermarry and ethnicities to intermarry with other people you could actually wipe out an entire ethnicity right and it would be indistinguishable right so if that's what's happened and literally the blood of israel is all scattered throughout all the people of the earth by now and god is saying i want to literally regather all the 12 tribes of israel he has well, to gather the whole earth. You've got to actually drag everybody else with them. But think right. about this. What was God's vocation for Israel to begin with? To draw in all the nations. To go out to the nations and bring them back. They fail at it. So the what? They're forcefully driven out to the nations. Right. They intermarry. And God's going to now, what? Bring them back. The only way for the good shepherd to reunite Israel is to actually shepherd back everybody else with them. To make it Catholicos. To make it Catholicos. And we've talked about this before, I think. Mm. But that's the good news of what this what this um, um, shepherd is going to do. And so when you're reading Ephesians, part of Ephesians that, that's so fascinating, he says, For he is our peace, he who made us both one and broke that ba- down the dividing wall of enmity through his flesh. You know, a lot of scholars, that, that line broke down, down the dividing wall of enmity. A lot of scholars take that as a, as a veiled reference to the wall of the temple that divided the Jewish people from the non-Jewish people. And Josephus, who's this Jewish historian, he actually writes that there was a, a big wall, a big gate in the temple that separated, you know, that only the Jewish people could go in a certain... So there's, there's all these levels of the temple. There's the court of the Gentiles, where kind of everybody could go. And then there's the court of the Jewish people. And then there's the court of the women, where only women could go. And then there was the court of the males. And then there was the interior courts. And then eventually the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go only once a year. So you had these levels. But... On the, on the gates that divided the court of the Gentiles from the court of the Jewish people, there was apparently a big sign above it that said, anybody who is not Jewish who enters these gates, you alone are responsible for the certain death that will follow you. Which is not necessarily God's house being a house of prayer yeah, for all not, the nations. Yeah, not really. Yeah, that's a little ghetto. And this is what we do. This is not a slam on the Jewish people. I mean, the people of God, we have a tendency to want to circle the wagons. Always. Because the people of God always, we've always kind of been beat up. We're always a little bit freaked out. We want to do it today. Right. So, yeah, this isn't an anti-Semitic thing or anything like that. But we just have a tendency to want to put up some walls because we're freaked out for good reason. And this is Paul saying, look, Christ has actually broke down that dividing wall. In other words, Jew and Gentile actually both have a place here. Because, quite frankly, these Gentiles, these non-Jews, the unclean people, if you think about it, they're actually your family as well. Because your family line has actually been spread to the four winds. So if you want to reunite the family, you got to drag everybody else with you. Creepy, creepy uncle 
Buck and you know everybody else, they all actually have to be a part of this. And he did this, abolishing the law with its commandments and legal claims. You know, the law when it when it really when it references abolishing the law with its commandments and these legal claims. I mean, what what did God inst- in, install the law for in Deuteronomy? I mean, he did it because. They had fallen to this golden calf sin. They had done the things that they shouldn't have done. They had become like the other nations. They were worshiping the gods of the Egyptians. They were about to worship the gods of the Canaanites. So God puts in all of these laws, the food laws, the dietary laws, the laws of who you can and cannot eat with and interact with and have a conversation with, all this stuff, basically to insulate Israel from all the other nations who were a bad influence on her. But from the beginning, the point was Israel to be a good influence on the rest of the nations. Right. So God basically grounds Israel for a period of time and puts <laughs> these laws in place that says, look, you can't actually interact with these nations. Not because they're bad or they're, they're you know, they're unclean, not in a moral sense, but they're just, they're, they're, they're not good for you right now. Right. But those laws were meant to be temporary. You shouldn't ground a child for the rest of his life, even though you want to sometimes. Yep. But they're meant to be lifted so that, what, Israel can now do what she was supposed to do. Right. Which is what Jesus gives the example of. He's wa- he's running off. He's talking to, to Samaritan women. He's hanging out with prostitutes, with tax collectors, not just because he wants to hang out with the naughty people, but because he wants to bring them back into the family. Correct. And this is where our culture gets it so wrong about Jesus. You know, we talk about Jesus wanting to hang out with sinners and unclean people and tax collectors and prostitutes, not because he wants to leave them in their sin, though. And this is, you know, I don't know. I don't know what your conversations are, but I, people always bring out how Jesus, you know, wanted to hang out with these people and he goes outside and he wants to be with the sinners. And that's true. But he never wants to leave sinners in their sin. Right. He goes out to those people so that he can bring them back and have them repent and listen to the words of Jeremiah that, look, it's time to turn around now. Which is the, uh, which is the latest, uh, um, podcast from catholic stuff you should know is it really yeah yeah they which they just relaunched it now with father father uh o'laughlin father michael o'laughlin yeah so his first one is is going and eating with sinners is actually the is the nice is the title i haven't listened to it yet and then and then uh john neppel uh, father john neppel and father mike rapp are doing it from rome so they're are they really yeah so it's good for them it's goblin and and olak and uh so <laughs> goblin olak yeah. that's a good name for a podcast yeah, it is so so i'm i'm excited because last week we thought that they were going to be done right but this is uh, this was misinformation it was misinformation promulgated by my own brain well but again and and so but that's it and and that's how the second reading ends he came and preached to you who are far off and those who were near all of you because the the point of these readings is who is god the shepherd of Everyone. Everyone. It's not just Israel. I mean, that's that's the kind of fallacy of the Old Testament. They're waiting for a shepherd who will guide them instead of waiting for the shepherd who's actually meant to guide everyone. Right. Which is the point of Israel in the front. Why does God set aside one nation over and above all the other nations of the earth? It's not him showing favoritism because they're better than anybody else. Yep. He sets aside one to be the example for the rest and to bring and draw everyone else back into the family. And yep. they fail at it. The bus breaks down. So he says, you know what? I'm going to do it myself. And I'll drag them back whether they like it or not. Which, which, but is, that's the good news. That's the, the gospel, news. and that's what Paul is getting at. This is the theme of the whole letter of Ephesians. Yes, is that the mystery of the faith? One of one of the main themes of the book of Ephesians, especially in chapter three, is this idea that there's been this mystery that God has been slowly revealing throughout time that's now been manifest in Christ and manifest in the church, which is that the people we thought were outsiders and unclean and dirty and un, you know unlovable are now 
brought into the family. Yes. They've been brought back into the fold. That's the mystery of faith, which has been slowly revealed from the beginning of salvation history, that God wants the whole world for his own. He is the shepherd of all. He's the king of all. Right. He is the Lord. But that wasn't clear in the Old Testament. No. And we still don't like it all the time. There's still all those people who are like, I don't want you in the church. I don't want to, you know, it's great. I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm, especially in the reign of Pope Benedict or Pope uh, Francis, I'm hearing that sometimes from my friends who are kind of maybe overly conservative. Like, I don't know if I want the gospel preached to those people. Right. Like they're, you know, it's great if they're hearing the gospel, but I don't know if I want them in my church, you know. I don't know if I want them in my parish. And there's always those, you know, that we're just human beings, so we get like that. Well, I, I think, wasn't, wasn't it even Walker Percy who um, who was like— uh, his family was like, "Why, why would you go and 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 have religion with that with those Catholics? That that's a that's yeah. a religion for the servant people. Yeah. That's it, that's it exactly." And, and he's like, "Like, what are you talking about? Like, like, but at the same time, yeah. he's profoundly transformed." Here's my here's my the my internal challenge that I always give both to myself and and I don't know if I've ever actually given it publicly, but I'm going to oh. give it right now. I think a lot of the people who listen to our show they they're faithful Catholics. They love the church. We tend to lean fairly conservative, I think, in a lot of ways, especially right. morally. And my question is always, and this is just the gut check, I wonder if if President Obama, I'm not a huge fan of our, our president on a lot of on a lot of issues. I think he's wrong in a lot of things. But I wonder if if President Obama had this massive conversion, abolished abortion overnight, you know, signed some executive order, d- decided I'm gonna give, you know, I'm gonna publicly renounce these things. I wanna be pro life. I really am curious how many good Catholics and Christians would accept him or do we have enough animosity just because we hate certain people or we're mad or we dislike certain people would we actually be willing to forgive if someone repents of something yeah and i I don't know i think that's a challenge i think that for a lot of people i know there's just such hatreds or pick your political leader or pick your whoever if that person were to repent of the things that you don't like yeah and actually turn to jesus christ would we welcome them would we forgive? Would we actually accept them in the fold? Which is, which just goes right to the heart of the uh, our lives. Are uh, our battle is not with people? Yeah, that, and that's it, and that's the that's the mistake we always make. Uh, yeah, and that's what Ephesians. That's how Ephesians ends. Our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, with the powers, and with the world rulers of this present darkness. Absolutely, which is precisely the the whole theme of Ephesians. Yep. But we make it about people. Yep. And there's somebody in all of our lives where, like, if that person were to were to come back to you and want to be welcomed back, would we welcome them? And, and, and I think that's just hard. It's hard, and that's exactly what we have to attune our spirits to and get prepared for. That's, that's why it. we got to do some exercise. Indeed. Spiritual exercise. And how do we do it? We Through go, the gospel. Yep. We go away with Jesus by himself for a little while. This is the funniest. Well, it's not that funny. I know. No, I think it's funny, too. Isn't it kind of? The, yeah. Like, the, like he's like, hey, you guys, let's go take a retreat. Well, first of all, we got to put this in context a little bit. In context of what Mark has just done, we didn't. I think. I think we actually had the what was just before this a few weeks ago. It wasn't last week. Yeah, they went out and they preached. They got sent into all the towns and pre- preached and taught and healed. That's a part of it. But if you remember, we talked about Mark and sandwiches a couple of weeks ago. Remember that? Yeah. I How like, Mark loves to sandwich things. Yeah. So there's a Mark kinda, and sandwich. It's kind of like a Milano cookie. It's kind of like a Milano a, cookie. A Milano cookie has chocolate in the middle and gluten on the outside. You're really rubbing in that I can't eat those Milanos right now. No, I'm not shoving them in your face. I am. Well, now that your mouth is full, I'm going to say the, um, so really the theme of Mark chapter six. So yeah, it begins by Jesus sending out the, the, the disciples um, to go into all these towns. Then they come back here in verse 30, but smack in the middle. Do you remember what's right in the middle of the disciples going out and the disciples coming back? No. 
It's the death of John the Baptist. There's this side note story oh. where Mark tells you, um, tells you the story of how John the Baptist was beheaded for speaking truth to this political leader, right, to King Herod, and yeah. he gets ticked off and his head is cut off because of Herodias and all, all this stuff. Which, why is Mark, what's Mark trying to show you by inserting the seemingly random story and the disciples going out? Well, what he's trying to show you is that if I do this, I'm going to get my head cut off? You might get your head cut off. Oh. And you might get murdered. That's just the reality of this. People might not like to hear what you have to say. And just, you know, I mean, this is the message. I mean, we've been talking about this reality of the New Testament that God has now opened the covenant family to the unclean and to people like prostitutes and tax collectors and wants them to repent and come back in. People don't like to hear that. Right. The gospel is always going to be challenging, right? I mean, that's that, that famous line. It's supposed to afflict the uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, right? And we don't like being afflicted very often. So... He just told you how if you do this, really, you might get your head cut off, which is a good reason for Jesus then to say, all right, now it's the time to come away by yourselves for a little while. Let's go rest. Let's have a little retreat because this is hard. Yes. And this is not going to be accepted. And this is challenging. Yes. And exhausting. Please call this a desert day. A desert day. So come away by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. And it says people were coming and going in great numbers, so they had no opportunity to even eat. They couldn't even eat. Which is, um, you do get this theme, I think, in the Gospels. Jesus is always sort of sacrificing his worldly needs for the sake of ministering the Gospel. You know, he's always trying to rest. He's always trying to go by himself. He's always trying to get a moment to himself, (laughs) and he never can get it. Now you get the sense that the disciples are actually participating in that. In this little fact that they're not able to eat because there's so many people that want to talk to them. Because they themselves are participating in the ministry. Exactly. Now they're participating in that. They're feeling it, too. And it says, so, you know, so they got in the boat and they took off. (laughs) We're out of here. So they went off in a boat by themselves to a deserted place. I love that Mark calls it a deserted place because it's just not. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And people saw them leaving and many came to know about it. And they hastened there on foot. And they arrived at the place before them. So they're all like, they're going over there. So they run to the other side. And they're like, hey, how you guys doing? We're here already. And it's just the the worst retreat on earth. Like imagine you went off to take a retreat and your whole parish shows up. They're all there. We're all just waiting for you. Well, dude, hey, Father Peter. <laughs> dude, What's up, man? Well, that's funny. I was like, t- t- like tonight I was even thinking, I was like, man, I am excited. I'm just going to read a book. And then they were like, hey, we want to have a men's night. Come on. And I'm like, oh. Would it be like you, you know, just get have deciding having a quiet night to read your book. And we're all just waiting in your bedroom. Oh, hey, Father Peter. I would be like, we're here before you got I'd be here. Like, hey, and then you just go for it, man. <laughs> well, but what's what's the reaction? What do you? What's the natural human reaction? Get the heck out of it my should, house, right. you freaks! It should be annoyance. But what does Jesus do? He says he has compassion on them because he they because his shepherd's heart was activated and he saw that they like. They loved and needed, and they were like right. real stuff was happening. He's moved with pity. Is what my translation says. Some some trans I forget the Greek word, but the Greek word for pity or compassion in some translations, it's literally a, a this guttural sorrow. Like, oh man, these people are hosts. Oh yeah. But it's a very and it's funny. Only Mark gives us that detail. He's the only one that gives us that emotion from Jesus. And part of the reason for that is that we believe Mark was the gospel basically dictated by Peter. So Peter was probably yeah. there. Like he saw the look Have, in Jesus's eye. Like that's the only the kind of thing you could get from an eyewitness who was like there. He's like, I saw the look in Jesus's eyes when I expected, you know, annoyance or whatever. But he had this look 
I mean, isn't that beautiful that Peter actually is recounting something he just saw? Oh, yeah. That he was like, and it was crazy because we were all so tired and we hadn't eaten. And then Jesus's heart was moved deeply to his guts with pity. Why? Because these people were so desperate for a shepherd. Yes. And you get the idea that they've been waiting for this prophecy from the book of Jeremiah for hundreds of years. We were stripped of our shepherds way back before the time of Jeremiah because they failed. And Ezekiel actually says at one point, the shepherds are eating their own sheep. Like they've just been doing terrible things. So God strips this authority, but then there's a vacuum. They're like, well, who do we look to? Who do we turn to? Who's our shepherd? We need somebody. Yes. And then these people, even annoyingly so, there's this recognition that you, we want to follow you. We don't even necessarily know who you are, but there's something about you we need. Right. One of the white water rafting guides that we were using on our on our in our Camp Voitiwa program and our adventure program, there was this guide who saw we had a Nashville Dominican a couple of Nashville Dominican sisters with us. Yeah, and this one guy just saw the habit, and he's he was a secular guy, you know, wasn't really a believer, but he just saw the habit. And he's like, "Can I talk to you?" <laughs> and he just wanted to have this conversation. There was something about her. Yes, he was like, I, "I I don't even know who you are. I don't know what this habit's all about, but I want to talk to you, and I don't even know why I want to talk to you, but I do." Yes. And that's beautiful. I mean, that's the way that we as Christians should actually be perceived by the world. We don't all have Roman college. We don't all have habits on. But, I mean, that's your priesthood. That's how you share in the shepherding of Jesus because yes. you have something that's more than you. Yes. And the world should see that. And I mean, I'm sure whenever you're just out and about or at restaurants or in the airport and people see your collar, I just assume it invites all sorts of stuff. I mean, I'm sure some of it's bad. I'm sure some of it's good. But I don't know. I mean, I've talked to so many priests. They're like, people just see the collar and they're like, hey, can I talk to you? Or yes. I haven't been in confession, you know, since my first confession, but can I, you know. Yes. It's amazing what that actually does. It's Well, yeah, it's because it's people are like a sheep without a shepherd. And right. when they see the shepherd and like there's some recognition. I mean, I was just having a conversation with a guy the other day who was who was just pro- he just was obviously in, in proclaiming his Buddhism. Mm. And he could have walked away, but he kept on hanging out around me and listening. Like because there's some the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice, right. even if they don't know why they recognize it. Right, it's just embedded in us. Yep, man, that's really beautiful. Well, <laughs> well, I think that you guys are that. really beautiful for hanging out and enjoying a little bit of the podcast, a little bit of the shepherd. Um, mm. Like, oh, God is so kind; He really does call us to be together, Catholicos. We are we are one body. One body in Christ, and we do not stand alone. <laughs> For he tells us, dude, that's that's the way we gonna, we're starting. We're starting in with song. We're oh ending with song. Gosh. We're a people of the song. We are a people of the song. Do you remember? Oh, you weren't there. You were busy stealing the signs. But I remember at World Youth Day seeing that song performed for the first time live. I was there. I thought you were busy stealing signs for all the pilgrims. No, that was a couple of weeks beforehand. And then I tried to get there and realized that all the pilgrim signs were stolen. Oh, dear. And I was like, oh, no. I thought that I, I was working against the shepherd. He was oh, trying my. He was trying to get his flock to the one place. And, oh, I, and I, was a, I was a wolf. I was a wolf. You didn't mean to be, though. No, I did. I mean, I, did, I, I just was, like, dumb. Oh, well, so be it. You've repented. You've recanted. Hey, will you accept me for that? I do. Even in the midst of the face of that? Oh, yeah. You didn't throw me off. I knew my way. Can't fool me, Father Peter. Can't fool me neither. Hey, God bless you all. Keep it real. You keep it real. Yep. We'll be back next week. Find us on Facebook. Send us an email. Tweet us on Tweetable. We'll see uh, you then. and, And Vine us on Vine. 
I don't know what you would mind of us, but go for it. Do it anyway. Okay, I can I can do your synchronized diving on Vine. Oh, <laughs> I'm not oh. gonna do that. Okay, <laughs> all right. It was bad. No, You're it was best. good. You said it was good. I was beautiful. Oh my gosh, inside jokes. All right, see you next week, okay, everybody. Okay, bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.